So this evening, I would like to continue a little from Stephen this morning. He mentioned right efforts or authentic effort or complete effort in terms of the Eightfold Path as one component, but also as one component of the five powers. And so I thought I would like to look a little at right effort. And to me, especially what I'm very interested in terms of right efforts is actually the idea of uh, the Buddha or when he talks about the four great efforts. Because they're in a way very much about an awareness of conditions and also an awareness of possibility of transformation during but also before the conditions arise. Because often I think we have a tendency to think that meditation is going to make us be above conditions. When actually I think it's the contrary. I think meditation makes us realize how influenced we are by conditions. And I think the Buddha seems to be very aware of that. Because I'm reading the Anguttara Nikaya, the numerical discourse, and again and again he talks about conditions. So what are these four great efforts to prevent negative state that have not a reason to arise? To let go of negative states once they have a reason. To enable positive states that have yet not a reason to arise. And to sustain positive states once they have a reason. To, I mean, the two, I mean, uh, of course, we know a lot about letting go, about sustaining, but I find it so interesting to look at, in a way, what kind of condition, how can we be with condition, so in a way, the positive state arise or the negative one do not arise. So in a way, I feel there that the Buddha is very pragmatic, it's kind of saying, you know, it's not just one thing. Look at this, in a way, I think again and again he's telling us, look at, in a way, the multi-perspective of your experience. And personally, I would say that meditation is training with the four great efforts. I think during this retreat, I think that's what you are actually doing. You are actually cultivating these four great efforts. So if I take them backward, the first one, in a way, the first one is to sustain positive state. And we could say in terms of meditation, is to sustain the peaceful, calm, open, clear, stable state of being, one could say. And in a way, this is in connection with meditation, but I would say it's also in connection with life. Because it seems to me that at the root of the four efforts, there is first awareness. In a way, you have to be aware that you are in a positive state, that you are in a calm, peaceful, content state. But what is interesting in life is that when we generally are in a calm, peaceful, content state, we actually don't really notice it because we think this is normal. And I personally feel it's very important 
in daily life to recognize in this moment, I am okay. Because then if later you are not okay, you can remember, ah, I am not always not okay. Because we seem to have this propensity to notice so much the negative. So I think it is in daily life, it's very essential through the awareness to know, yeah, in this moment, I am fine. And not to grasp at it or just to acknowledge it, in a way just to be with it. And I think it is the same in meditation. And I think to me this is very interesting. We sit in meditation and generally a few times during the retreat, suddenly or softly you will feel very calm, very peaceful, very open, and generally, yeah, 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 you know, awakening very, very soon. <laughs> and as soon as you do this, it's gone. And I would say it is a training, as a training of this effort, to actually, to when you experience this, that suddenly you really feel so calm, so peaceful, just to be with it. Because that's what it requires, that state that we don't grasp at it. Because often people say to me, when I experience it, how can I deepen it? Personally, I don't think it's about deepening. It's about being with. Sustaining it is being with a little like a mother with a child. Not too tight, not too loose. So if you feel like this, calm, open, just be with it. And actually, this is a training. I know for myself, I train myself to just be with it. Instead of getting excited and, you know, you kind of start to rom- the heroic romance of, you know, I'll be awakened, I'll save everybody. And just in a way to be with it so that then you are nurtured by it. I think this is to be very essential to just, again, to experience ourselves in that way. That it is possible. And of course, also we know that it's not going to last. And actually what is interesting is to see how there is this movement, when you are in that state, this movement where you see a thought come up and you can, in a way, let it be and stay in the state until the thought has hooked you and then you're gone. And so in a way to see that, to see that there is that movement, in a way we can play with it, It's not something fixed, but something we can, in a way, play with it, be nurtured by it. And I think it's the same. Often, I think, in daily life, we have the feeling that in order to be happy, we have to do something. When often, I think, in a way, what you need to do is to be with it. And I had that experience with my niece. One day with Stephen, we had, you know, worked in the garden and we're tired, we washed, and now we were sitting in the living room at six o'clock, listening to Schubert. And suddenly my niece comes from downstairs where she was with my mother. She comes up, she looks at us just sitting there, and she says, I am going to dance. <laughs> and so for the next 13 minutes, she just danced. I mean, it was not Nureyev, but she danced. <laughs> and the only thing she needed was actually for us to be totally present to her. So she would check. 
if we were lucky. <laughs> and we were lucky. We were just totally there for her. And it was amazing, kind of, you know, a moment of love between each other. And then she left. And then after that, it's interesting, this positive, kind of, you know, nurturing state. Is that after that, often we want to redo it. We want to reconstruct it. We want to recreate it. Instead of seeing that actually we cannot recreate something, but actually something new can come. Well, she kept coming up after the, every day, but the music was never right. <laughs> so that, that's the first effort. Then there is a second effort, which is to enable peace, calm, openness, clarity to appear before it has been there. So before it's not yet a reason, but we try in a way to make it appear. We're trying to help it to come up. And to me, very much this is what meditation is about, is in a way to cultivate so that the positive state that has not yet arisen will arise. This is, in a way, why we meditate. Because it's kind of, in a way, going to, in a way, cultivate the condition so we can feel calm, open, and clear. So at that level, the meditation is very much an exercise. It's very much a practice. It's very much a training. It's very much something we do. Like, for example, today we focused on the breath. So in a way, of course, you know, sometimes it might feel mechanical. Sometimes we might feel a little sleepy. But over time, over the day, you might have felt that you are starting to rest on the breath. Also, you might have started to feel that you could not grasp the breath because you cannot grasp air. It's ungraspable. And so in a way, you cultivate a little, what I would call this de-grasping, this releasing, when you kind of watch the breath, you flow with the breath. And in a way, that's what we try to cultivate, this being with something in this open manner. When we don't grasp, we don't reject, but we're very present. To me, that's in a way the condition, what we're cultivating when we meditate. So it doesn't matter so much the technique. And that's why I see very much what we're going to offer you during the week as tools of awareness. For me, the breath are this kind of resting, grounding quality. But also the fact that if we become more aware of the breath in a very experiential way, we're more aware that we're alive in this moment. That we are not dead in this moment. We are very much alive in this moment with lots of potential. Tomorrow I will introduce the sounds. And sounds, I think what it cultivates is openness, but also being with what is unpredictable. Generally, you cannot predict what is going to be the next sound. So, you know, being with what is unknown. The sensation, the body is really much anchoring us in this physical experience. So we're not so much lost in thought. The feeling tone, it's interesting to be with feeling in a different way. Looking at thought, again, being with thought in a different way. Then I will introduce a question which is, again, something a little different, in order to cultivate perplexity, wonderment. And we'll also introduce loving kindness, to cultivate that intention of wishing well. Equanimity, cultivating a radical acceptance. 
So I think it's important that in a way, all these different tools of awareness is very much cultivating when it is appropriate for certain conditions. So that we are actually cultivating the conditions we can, in a way, help ourselves (coughs) in our daily life. To me, very much that's what this is about. Then there is a third one, which is to dissolve difficulties or obstacles once they have appeared. And I think when we're sitting in meditation, that's what also we encounter. You might sit here and you really have come with the intention to be aware, to be awake. You've planned this for a year. And you sit here and you're kind of so upset about somebody that actually you think just about that. So you're kind of going round and round and round that half of the time you're not here. You are, I don't know, in your office or you are in your home or you are, I don't know. And it's interesting, you know, to see that happening. Also, we might sit here and we thought, you know, meditation should be so peaceful. And we sit here and we feel anxious or sad or confused. This is also part of our experience. Or we might sit here And again, meditation is supposed to relax you and you have such pain in your knee or in your back. But in a way, I think the meditation is to help us to be with difficulty in a different way, to encounter it differently. I mean, a few years ago, I was teaching in Sweden on my own. And so I was ringing the bell and I had to be there to ring the bell. And I just did some walking. It was Zen style. So I did 10 minutes walking with everybody. Then we sat. And this, my leg was so painful. I never had such pain in my life. It was like on fire. It was so painful. And I had to sit there 30 minutes because I had to kind of do the bell. And I could see I had a choice. I had the choice to really think, gosh, this is terrible. I'm going to survive it, you know, da-da. Or to use actually the vipassana aspect of the meditation, to look deeply into the experience and actually to be with it very differently. So that's what I did. So for 30 minutes, I just went into my leg and to just be with that sensation of fluidity, of kind of, you know, it was kind of all this sensation, changing, fluid. And so I could sit there for 30 minutes. And then I rang the bell, and then I went to take some painkiller, of course. So that was a bit better. But in a way, I think it, is, it really can help us to, because in a way, what really catches us often is the fact that we identify, this is my knee, this is my leg, and kind of we f- f- become so fixed. When actually with the concentration and the vipassana, the looking deeply, we actually can be with the experience in a very different way. And to me, that's why, in a way, why we cultivate concentration and inquiry together is to develop this creative awareness, which I would say the two components are acceptance and transformation. Acceptance is the fact that you really know what was going on. I was totally aware of my leg. I did not float away from my leg. I was really there. But by being with it in a kind of what I would call creatively engaging with it. It was not unbearable. It was just as it was. 
at that moment. So I think, you know, to me, this is what this creative awareness, what the meditation is about, which can help us when we have difficulty. I remember another time I was in Japan and I had written months before about, you know, doing some research, some interview with the great female then master and and I thought everything was ready and I got there and nothing was ready and there was no translator and da 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 and, and then the retreat, we started a retreat for three days. I went to see how they sat. And so I sat on retreat. I was sitting there on my cushions. And I would say I was not really meditating. I was sitting there and I was resenting. I think that's what Buddhists do. They resent <laughs> in silence. So I was there. How could they not do this? And how is it? And the whole morning I was in this kind of resentful mode. And then, you know, i back at two o'clock and I'm sitting there. Suddenly I thought, but wait a minute. I am not meditating. I am being resentful. This is not the aim of the exercise. <laughs> and this is, in a way, what for me creative awareness is about. That actually you see something. I did not tell myself, don't be resentful. I just saw the pointlessness of it. I mean, what was the point of just going round and round like this? And as soon as I saw it, it went. So I think, in a way, in the letting go of what is difficult, I think very much there is first that seeing, and in the seeing, often there is a letting go. Because you see, but why would I do this? Why would I cause this suffering to myself? Then there is a last one, which is working with condition. So in a way, the negative state will have not arisen, will not arise. And to me, this is, again, very much what meditation is about. That actually, before difficulty arises, the meditation helps us to develop what I would call a certain posture. To me, this is a little what we do here. I know people are more interested, possibly, in mystical state and kind of higher jhanas and things. But to me, in terms of everyday life, to to in a way not make things worse than they are, and maybe possibly making them a little easier for ourselves. It seems to me that's what we're cultivating here, what I would call a stable and open posture. And in a way, physically, that's what we try to do when we sit, also when we walk. We feel stable, but at the same time, we feel open. And to me, in a way, before we go into encounter things, which might be difficult. I think this is a posture in a way we can remind ourselves of and then encounter those difficult things differently. I would also say that meditation helps us in a way to dissolve the exaggeration. Because in a way, we, life happens. All kind of things happen in our life. But what is interesting is why does it become very negative, very painful? It's often because we exaggerate. We do two things. We exaggerate and we proliferate. And I think actually if we cultivate that stable and open attitude, I feel then there is less possibility for this 
reaction of exaggeration, to make really things, to really amplify them, or to really kind of, in a way, build on them, so that in a way you become swamped by them, you become overwhelmed by them. And so in that way, we can be more with the moment as it is. We, we can, in a way, have this inner posture which then helps us to move through life in a little, in a different way. I remember when uh, I was in France with, uh, and my mother lived downstairs from us, and we're in a little village, and often we have this, what I would call, cowboys, kind of they guys who generally kind of try to sell something to old ladies. <laughs> and my mother is always, you know, happy to have a good deal where things are much cheaper, and she always often fell for these cowboys. And so one time there was this guy who said, you know, I'll paint your house for like a price defying, you know, any competition. So my mother signed on the dot, and then they came and they painted, and it was not the color she wanted. So, and she came to me, can I do something about this? <laughs> and I could not ask Stephen, because normally the man is supposed to, you know, to handle this kind of thing, but, you know, his French would not be good enough for this, because it was these two guys, 50 years old. And so, you know, I prepared myself, you know, because I did not want to be angry, because I did not see the point. That would not work with these two guys. So, in a way, what I needed is to really feel stable and open, and then to kind of approach them. So I went to them and I said, you know, I explained my mother wanted a different color, but he said, well, that's a color I have. And then I said, well, I see. So it means that you actually you cannot produce this color. You know, I mean, I thought any painter can, you know, can play with colors. And so it means that you actually don't have the ability to produce the color my mother wants. And he said, of course I can produce this color. <laughs> of course I can make it. I said, then... Fine, do it. <laughs> and so in a way, without any difficulty, in a way I was able to turn something which was rather difficult into something very different. Before, in a way, it became difficult. So in a way, to me, that's what the meditation is about, to kind of help us to have this kind of creative attitude. But I think, in a way, what we have to see is that I would say there is kind of a process that at the, at the beginning of our meditation, actually what we find ourselves is at the end of our patterns. We have patterns of exaggeration, of proliferation, <coughs> of creating difficulty for ourselves. And then, let's say we get angry. That would be one of my, what I would do long ago, less now. You know, I would get angry, but I would only see it at the end of the thing. You know, we go through the whole thing, da 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 da, and then afterwards, see, oh yes, <laughs> that was not very good for a meditator. Woo! Then comes the second, I would say, part of the process when you find yourself in the middle. So you, you know, you're angry and you're shouting and you kind of see yourself doing it and saying things which are not very nice and which you will regret later, and you cannot stop yourself. And so you feel very frustrated. You're totally aware, and actually you can't stop yourself. But to be aware of it, at least, make it last generally less, and then make you deal with it afterward in a much better way. 
Then there is what I would call the beginning, the third stage, where you see yourself, you see the trigger. Because of the awareness, you start to see what is it that makes me angry, what is it that makes me sad, what is it that makes me, in a way, go into a negative state. You see the trigger. And then I think what is important there is to use what I would call creative distraction. You see the trigger and you do something else. You don't go into the spiral of it. You kind of, you know, for myself, I would read a book, I would go for a walk, something like that. And what is interesting is that these triggers are, are powerful as long as you don't see them. You get caught by them. As soon as you see them and you creatively distract yourself two or three times, and then it's gone. I had a pattern like that. And I only had to do it twice, creative distraction, and now I can't even remember what the trigger because the thing doesn't happen anymore. And then there is the fourth stage, I would say, before the pattern is going to arise. But something you've done for 30 years. And suddenly, the power of awareness helps you to see it before you're going to do it. And what is interesting there is that suddenly you see, I can do something different. Although I've been doing this for 30 years now, I could do something different. I could consider it. And at that moment, there is an incredible fear. How can I do something different? And in a way, this is why we have so much suffering. We prefer the pain of the known than the non-pain of the unknown. But if there is enough power of the awareness, then you go beyond that. And you do something different, and then you feel so much at ease. And you wonder, why did not I do it before? And I think the meditation is what helps you to actually make that choice, make that movement. And to me, what is very important there is that when we caught in our negative pattern, actually it stops our compassion. And I had this tendency before to shut people off. If they hurt me, I would not look at them, I would not talk to them for weeks when I was young. And then I did meditation, then it becomes just a week. <laughs> and it's only when I went beyond it and I did something different that I realized how painful it was for myself, but most for others. Imagine negating somebody. This is, and I had never seen that. And so now I would never do it again because I could not do this. I could not hurt somebody in that way anymore. So to me, this is why meditation, in a way, is very much cultivating the four great efforts. But at the same time, we have to see it is a process. It is not in a way done overnight. We have to in a way play with these various conditions. And to finish with, I will just briefly, I mean I'll talk more about it possibly another time, but just as a little gift, I will uh, do my little party trick. Uh, okay, because I mean, some of you have seen it, but most of you have, have not actually. And this is about grasping. 
And to me, this is in a way part of these four great efforts. Personally, I think meditation is about de-grasping. And actually, in a way, to see through the meditation, we can start to see the process of grasping. What happens when we grasp? And the pain and the suffering that that causes, and to me, more than that, the limitation than that cause. So in a way, to look at the process of grasping, when we grasp at something, when we grasp at a thought, when we grasp at a feeling, when we grasp at a sensation, when we grasp at a problem, what happens? Let's say this is gold or diamond, or it is the truth, the greatest truth in the universe, and I have got it. So because it's mine, then I Hold on to it like this because I don't want anybody else to have it or to take it from me. It is mine. So I do this. Then what happens? Two things happen. The first thing, I get a cramp in the arm. (laughs) And this is why we have tension. It's because of the grasping. We grasp at things. So you grasp with the whole hand. Then you get stuck there. Then you grasp with the feet. And then, you know, you can't grasp anymore. So, in a way, we get, in a way, stuck to what we're grasping at. I think this is very important. We create tension. But worse than that, there is something else which happens if I do this. I cannot use my hand for anything else. So, actually, we reduce ourselves to what we grasp at. This, I think, is very important to notice. So you could say, what would be the solution to this problem? One solution would be to cut the hand. (laughs) A little drastic. But that, I think, is asceticism. Is that you cut the hand so you don't grasp anymore. Another solution is to get rid of the object. But, I mean, the object is not asking to be grasped at. I mean, of course, the advertisement industry really kind of make it quite for us to grasp at, but object normally does not. So I don't think this is a solution either. Personally, I think that meditation and the four great efforts is about opening our hand. So then there can be movement. You can encounter the object, the problem, the feeling, the thought creatively, and it can go. And it can be there. So in a way, there is that movement. To me, the four great efforts, the meditation process is about this. It's about actually opening our hand, opening our grasp. So then we creatively encounter, we creatively engage with our thought, our feeling, our sensation, people, the world, whatever it is. And so in a way, I think through the retreat, to try to notice that, that actually when you grasp, I mean, I think in meditation what we see most is when we grasp at a thought or at a feeling or at a sensation, we actually, what we do is that we limit ourselves to it. We reduce our whole self to that thought. So of course, and it's very painful, because we stop our potential from emerging, because we, we kind, of, kind of put ourselves in this tiny, tiny, tiny place. 
And then when we do this, this is what's weird. We magnify the thing itself. So the process starts, we grasp by identifying. By identifying, we solidify. By solidifying, we limit ourselves. And by limiting ourselves, we magnify what we're grasping at. And so in a way, through the retreat, trying to notice that. Because I think this is what, again, would help. How can I be with this thought? How can I be with this sensation? How can I be with this feeling? How can I be with that person? So, that's what I wanted to say today. Because although it's a written 45 minutes for the Dharma tour, actually what we wanted to do was to talk for about 30, 35 minutes and then to open it up for discussion, to see what is it you're interested in, what kind of question do you have about meditation or whatever it is. So in a way to kind of not just ask, tell you your thing, but a little getting kind of, I don't know, some question or comment or whatever. So we'd like to have this maybe 15, 20 minutes of uh, time in that way together. Yes. I would look at it in different ways. Okay. If, personally, what I'm interested in, in, in a way to be creative, and again, it very much depends on the conditions. You know, if you have somebody who beat you up, then of course you don't want to kind of, you know, spend much time or no time at all with that person. If you have somebody, when you talk with them, it becomes very difficult and very negative. I would say, personally, before stopping talking to them, I would experiment first. You know, I would experiment different things. And if you're ever trying this, that, and another, if I would do it you know, over a period of time, trying various things out. And then really, if it was not working at all, then I would drop it, like you have done now. But personally, I would experiment because I think when people are difficult in discussion, like you, you have some people, they just love to argue. You know? I mean, that's what I learned, because French people love to argue. <laughs> and my great master there was a German fellow. He came to our temple, and after six months, I realized every time he visited me, we would have an argument. And it was very unpleasant. And finally, I thought, wait a minute, what, how does it work? You know, I am quite peaceful, he come and being. 
And then I saw that actually he was looking for it, you know, and he was talking in such a way to kind of hook me. And then what I decided was no hook. I am not going to get hooked. So he would say something, and I would say, Ah, yes, 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 you could look at it that way. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And then, you know, he would say something else. I said, "Mm, yeah, mm, yeah, 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 mm." (laughs) And after that, actually, he stopped coming because it was not (laughs) interesting anymore. And then, you know, we could relate in a very different way. Oh, I remember once where my grandmother was so upset with me. She was, you know, 90. And she was very upset because I had given old corrugated iron sheets to somebody. They had not been used for 30 years. <laughs> and she was so upset with me. And she kind of, you know, did not call treatment. And I decided to just be friendly. I did not push it. I just kind of smiled, said hello, kissed her as we do in France, you know, and just let it pass. But being friendly with her, not pushing it. And then within three days, she was back on track. Also, I think sometimes with people you have a lot of argument with, I would say, do not talk about difficult subject. That's what I would call creative distraction. Talk only about what they like to talk about, but which is harmless. Like football, I mean. If you, you know, football or making jam or movies or things which are harmless. I think sometimes you have consciously to accept that with some people you cannot speak of, about everything. Some subject you really have to avoid. So, again, this is, you know, I think each of us have this kind of difficulty. There is people you can really talk a lot to, people you can be more careful with, people you really just plain chit-chat about the weather and kind of trying to find our ways. But I think each of us has to see within our conditions. Yes? No, this is a good point. This is, you see, I think we have to be careful of this thing uh, in a Buddhist circle that you must not be angry. This is bad. You know, this is a no-no. So that's where then you become resentful, which I think is as bad, personally. <laughs> I think it's better to be angry because then you really know what it is. But I think what we have to see, the difference between, in a way, being in what I would call angry in a creative, skillful way and being angry in a way where you lose it. I think this is a difference because you can, in a way, what I would call being firm, like I was with the painters. You know, I was firm. And there was this kind of, that's what I talk about, this stability, this openness, and then this creativity. 
what is better now, but also how can I express it in such a way that the person will understand. Because it's the same, I mean, with children. I mean, my family nowadays has lots of little children. And then, I mean, they, they're crazy. They go on the road. And so, I mean, you can't say, oh, wouldn't it be nice to be aware and to come back, you know? <laughs> I mean, you have to shun. Come back, stop. You know, you, I mean, you have to kind of really kind of make an impression. So I think, again, that's what I mean by being creative. You see, how can I, in a way, bring f- strength? I think this is about strength. I think the four great effort about building strength and see, see, what is the creative things to do here? And then you try one thing and you see if it works. If it doesn't work, then next time you might try something else. No, no, this, I mean, I live with my mother, who is 78. I live with my grand, I, now she's dead, but with my grandmother, who is 90. And so I think the process of aging is, I think it's part, I mean, the Buddha was very clear, you know, aging is dukkha. But at the same time, I think we have to be careful of not in a way, it is difficult to age because it is true. We don't have as much energy. We become a little more forgetful. And in a way, it's strange. We become more no-self, nearly. It's kind of, you know, our self disappears a little from what we used to be. You see, I think it's also a question of little identification. That, you know, I I used to be a capable person. I remembered everything. I could, you know run up the mountain, and all these things. And I think, actually, aging is something that we all will encounter, more, more than likely. And I think this is, in a way, will be a test of our meditation. And in a way, to see, to me, it would be back to the four great effort. When you feel well, hey, I'm feeling well now. When you remember something, ah, I still remember that. So really to kind of appreciate when you still feel quite good about yourself, that in a way you, you could nearly say you don't feel your age in that moment. And then also it's to see, you know, to, to help yourself, to what is it, to try to be careful of not wanting to be exactly the same person as you used to be. Because that's what I could see. I think it's important to be yourself as much as you can, but to be careful to kind of, in a way, to want to do things we possibly might become beyond you. I can see that with my mother. You know, that, I mean, she can still do a lot of things. And she go dancing, and I mean, she's very lively. But 
there is certain thing, you know, I would say it's better. Like, you know, she wanted, because we started cycling, she wanted to cycle. And I said, no way. <laughs> you walk, you enjoy walking, don't cycling. Because I could see it was too dangerous. So in a way, to accept. I think we have to accept. And in a way, we have to use, I think, to use the fact that we have less energy to enjoy doing less. Personally, that's what I would say. You know, we travel with Stephen, and I mean, I'm 50, but I'm kind of already starting to feel a little weaker, and we travel. And I know when I come back, before I used to think, I come back, next day I do this, I do that, I do that. Now I know I won't be able physically to do anything for three days. And so for three days, I don't do anything. In a way, I accept my limitation. So I think this is a little the thing about the positive, working on the positive is accepting our limitation in a way, using them as a kind of a resting mechanism. And then when you have more energy, then you can continue with that. And I think it's each of us creatively has to see, how can I be with this? How can I... You know, it's, it's back to this. How can I not make it worse? And if, if I make it worse, to accept it. But possibly not to do it for too long. That's, so again, to play, to be kind to ourselves, to accept. Yeah? Do you have some suggestions when you're in the in-between stage where you see yourself being caught <coughs> but you can't unhook yourself at the moment so that there's some suffering involved. What I would say then is actually, if you can, you see, this is a thing, because sometimes we kind of so identify that, you know, I am, it's my right to be angry. I can be as angry. <laughs> and, you know, I think we enjoy that energy. I think we have to kind of also know that, you know. And because then we can say all kinds of mean things about the person and we feel so... I think it's important to see the whole mechanism. Personally, I would say go into the bodily experience. I mean, if it's, if it's anger, I would say go into the bodily experience. Because if you see that you are doing this, you know, you're shaking, uh, then you kind of... Nobody is doing this to you. You are doing it to yourself. So I think you have really then you have to go in the body. And then you have to go in the thought. What am I telling myself? Generally you are saying, I cannot stand this. Or you are saying, I am right. They are wrong. And they're thinking the other way around the same thing. So in a way to see what is going on. And in a way to kind of, through that, to kind of, in a way, take a little... The, 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 the grasping, the, the kind of the exaggeration out of it. So we, you will still feel tumultuous and funny and things, but I think it won't have that kind of explosive quality. But if somebody is sad, that's a bit different. One should do differently with that. I think it's according to how you feel, what is going on, what are the conditions. Because with sadness, we have to be very careful. Because with sadness, we very easily go into what I would call the poor me syndrome. Poor me, poor me, nobody loves me. I am alone in the world. 
And that, I think, requires a little of a different treatment. I think more creative distraction. So I think, again, we have to see how we are, each of us, at one level is a mystery to ourselves. And I would say the meditation is a way to know ourselves, to really accept, oh yeah, I have a tendency to be angry, I have a tendency to be sad, or whatever it is. And in a way to learn to work with it. Which I'm sure everybody has already working in different ways. Yes? Yeah, yeah, no, no, it is. But I think, you know, to me, awareness practice actually is very good for that because, in a way, to know, you see, we have to know our feelings. We have to know how does it feel when you feel in- intimidated. You know, you actually prepare yourself for intimidation. You see, physically, we kind of, inside, we feel all jittery, you know? <gasps> you know? And because of that, then we kind of start to speak in a certain way. And that's why I'm talking about this posture, you know, this kind of stable, open posture. So maybe not to start with your sister, but kind of starting with somebody lesser ranking intimidation and try to play. You know, how could I be? How can I be with this feeling? You know, how can I be with this feeling? And also to look at the story in the head. The story that said, I can never say the right thing, or the story that say whatever. And to to me, the root is very much creativity. To see, can I think something I have never thought before? Can I? It's it's very much, in a way, getting to know yourself better, and also, this is very key, to know the other persons better. You, you know, have to be interested in them. To kind of see how you can kind of play. And see if you can play or not. I mean, sometimes you might not be able to because the person is too difficult. Or maybe you have the problem is not solved. You know, the, 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 the thing is gripping you. You know, I, I, it's, that's the hard part for me is to really be able to look at certain patterns that got the hold of me and to release them. Yeah, but you see, to me, I would look at it differently. I would say that freedom is not to erase them. Freedom is that they have less power over us, that instead of doing this for a week, we might do it for two minutes. That, I think, is a great improvement, even if it still happens. Also, I think it is to... 
something can go and something we cannot go. Like it cannot go, but we can be different with it. We can be with it a bit like a difficult friend. You see, and in, to me, it's very important to see a lot of the patterns come from just the basic functioning. You know, that in a way, one, a, bi- a big one for a lot of people is judging. You know, we have a little police person on the shoulder. You know, you're not good enough, they're not good enough, and you know, you know, I should do this better, or whatever it is. But actually, judging is very important. I need to be able to discriminate that this is a clock, and I'm not going to drink from it. If I'm thirsty, this is a glass, and I can't read the time in it, or not yet. So discrimination is very important. But it's to see, you know, how can we judge and look at when we judge, and it is very useful and very important. And to see when it is more negative, it is more destructive. So already we can have more movement within it. And then we can see what are the conditions that make me this way? What are the conditions that does not make me this way? And then to start to play with that. Yeah. Not totally bad. No, no, that no. Useful information. Totally. So you don't want to say you don't want to be intimidated ever. Exactly. But you want to be with those feelings in a way that is probably balanced. That's it. You have to know it. You have to know it. When is it useful to, to feel fear? Right. And, I, is, yeah. and when is it that, you know. That's it. That, I think, is very important. Yeah. Very important. Yes? It's interesting. I didn't really realize this until you talked about this grasping, but the things that I've grasped, like anger, that have affected other people have been easier for me to work with because I've seen the counterproductive action of it. But things that maybe don't manifest themselves outwardly, like stress, that's a harder one for me because I don't think I, maybe I do, I don't realize it, but I project it over to someone else. So maybe I think I'm not hurting anybody with it, so I didn't even really realize I think how much I grasp it. <laughs> and that's, I guess, you'd have to let it go the same way, but it seems like a little harder one for me. Yeah, you see, when it's more, when it's more internal, I think then often the body will tell us, you know, like, I think we have weak, all of us have weakness in our body, which I would say are indicators, telling us, uh-uh, something kind of, I'm a little stressed here, or, you see, like, personally, I have problem with my stomach, and then I have seen what, the, what condition make it bad, what condition make it, uh, so I'm very careful what I eat, and then I'm relatively okay. And then, about a few years ago, Suddenly, I saw the pain was back, but the food was fine. I thought, what am I doing? And actually, it was our first trip to South Africa, and I was planning, planning, planning what I was going to put in the suitcase and what I was going to do, and I must not forget this, and I must do this, and I must do that. And just this constant thinking, pre-planning, actually made kind of you know, gastric problem with my stomach. So as soon as I saw it, I stopped planning. Because I did not think it was worth it. <laughs> you know? So in a way, often with this more internal thing, 
then I think it's really to look at the body, to, to see the body often is a very good indicator. And then, you know, through that you kind of look in the mind and you think, hey, you know, I've been repeating this. Often it's kind of the repetition which is very tiring. And kind of, you know, to, I don't have to repeat this. Yes? Sadness is a big subject. So I will just briefly. Because, you see, I think sadness is a very normal feeling. I think it's part of being human to feel sad. We feel sad because we lost somebody. We feel sad because we feel thwarted or we can't advance. I mean, we feel sad for all kinds of reasons. But sometimes there are some people who have what I would call a kind of a a running stream of sadness due to past experience, of course, but which make them go into this very dark place. And I think the, the people like that have to be very careful because they start to have just a normal feeling of sadness and then very quickly they go to very difficult place, which I think is very different if you have somebody like me who is more the angry type <laughs> Then you do different things, you know. I mean, I too get sad and I too get a little kind of, you know, gloomy, but generally it doesn't lead so quickly to this very dark, very paralyzing state. So I think with sadness, it's very important to to be careful, to kind of, in a way, know the feeling. And know the feeling and to see, is it because something has happened, which is sad, and so am I just what I would call a kind of a... uh, ordinary sad feeling and to feel how it feels. You know, you feel a little gray, you feel a little, you know, you feel a certain something here, a little feeling tone, you feel a little less energy. And to be very careful that it doesn't go in these various dark places, like what I would call the poor me syndrome or life is hopeless syndrome or what it is, whatever it is. To at that moment try to remember that although you lost this person, in a way, the person is still in your heart. That although something is difficult at work, you cannot reduce yourself to this difficulty at work. I think we have to be very careful with sadness not to reduce ourselves to that feeling. That that's all there is in our life. But just to see that, yes, I feel sad because of these conditions. But there are other things in my life where, which do not provoke that feeling, that I think with that feeling of sadness is very important to try to, to have a more multi-perspective on it. And also to try to be careful of not, if possible, to let ourselves get paralyzed by it, get like kind of not moving. Because often if you feel sad, you don't want to move, you don't want to act. And I think then it's good if you can be very gentle, you don't force yourself to do a marathon, but try to do something to go outside, to at least meet one person, to go in the garden, to kind of, in a way, move the body a little. Because I think some of that energy then can be kind of more healthy in a way. But that's a big subject. And I think everybody also must have had their own experience of how to deal uh, with sadness.
This talk was given by Martine Bachelor at Spirit Rock Meditation Center on October 21, 2005. It is an offering of the Dharma. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.